welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast, the podcast where we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope that it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors of sexual abuse too. We hope that you find it interesting, but more than that, if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, we hope that you find our discussion empowering. Hello, my name is Alan Collins. I'm the partner who heads up the abuse team at Hugh James. And welcome to our latest podcast. Before we get going with the podcast, I always give a trigger warning and remind everyone that in these podcasts, we often talk about sensitive subjects, survivor issues, child abuse, and so on. And of course, that is often, if not always, a troubling, if not upsetting subject. So if you want to turn off, now's the time to do so. Go off and do something else. Otherwise, please do stay with us. And I hope you do stay with us because in this podcast, I'm going to be talking to my guest, who is Dana Leslie. Hello, Dana. Hiya. Thank you for coming along to this podcast, Dana. So Dana Leslie is a multidisciplinary artist, theatre maker and feminist based in Dundee. And what we're going to be discussing in this podcast is the fact that, Dana, you have recently been awarded an international award, as I understand it. And it's in respect of some artwork inspired by women's experience of sexism, harassment and gender-based violence. So there's quite a lot there. So what I would ask you to do, Dana, is perhaps, first of all, explain what the award is, and then we'll go on and start to talk about the piece of work that you've been awarded this prize for. So what's the award? Uh, So the award is the Global Undergraduate Award in the Visual Arts category. Um, So I believe there's about 25 categories, everything from medicine to law to the visual arts and every year they pick one student I think that they have to be in their final year and uh, maybe final or second last year and they award them the overall best for the category and then the winners go out to Dublin and there's a like a three four day conference and we all present our work and that's actually in a couple of weeks so I'm just working on my presentation for that at the moment. Well good luck with that and congratulations and just looking at my notes here your winning submission featured artwork that you'd prepared for the Duncan of Jordanstone College of Art and Design degree show 2022 as part of your fine art degree? Yes yeah. Okay good I've got that bit right. So what was the title? So the title for the the series of works I created is Hope is a Form of Planning, which is actually a Gloria Steinman quote, uh, which I came across during some of my research stage. And I just loved it so much, kind of saying that as long as we're hopeful, whatever we make and do is us preparing for the future, which I really liked. So I, I use that as the overall title of the work. Good, I get that. That is um, inspiring. Um, Yes, I I get that. But let's dig into that a little bit. What is that all about, this artwork? Yeah, so so for the final, my final year at uni, we have about half a year to make our degree show work, which is then exhibited in the city. At the same time, we're doing a dissertation. So I started off the year with a focus on 
gender roles and gender inequality. And that was what I was doing my thesis on and specifically looking at performance artists and how they critique and subvert different gender roles in their work. And I was just kind of wondering how I could bring that side of research in and gathering lots of stuff, possibly from my own studies and so it'd be exhibited in Dundee. And at the same time as doing that, there was also the 16 days of 16 days of activism campaign, which happens every year. And in Dundee in 2022, we had a really massive turnout, which uh, reclaimed the night march, women's rights events, lectures, workshops. And so I was very active in that as well. And so the two kind of merged together in my mind through speaking to okay. lots of women, started hearing people's stories, their own personal stories that they were opening up about. And I realized that people were willing to talk to other women about these things and everybody had not just one story, but five or 10. And I just kind of thought to myself, what if there was a way to collectively bring these all together and kind of expose people to this, but in a kind of safe environment? And that's where I kind of thought yeah. maybe I could come into this. OK. And how did that manifest itself? So after speaking to these some women, like some just like my own friends and stuff, I decided that I'd make a website where people were in control of how much they shared of these kind of stories. So I set up a website, I made a privacy policy, very transparent, a help page. So I really wanted it to be like a very safe environment online and not just uh, drop something here and that's it. I really wanted it to kind of have a flow to it that people could put whatever they want on the website, but also follow through with what any support they need or if they need educated on what kind of counts as gender-based violence. But when people would go to the website, the first thing that they see is a form which just explains if you'd like to kind of be part of this living archive and document that you've had this experience and state it, but not have to do it face-to-face, not have to see someone's react to it or worry about blame or disbelief or questioning if you'd like to just state it in your own words where it happened and any context you can I just wanted a place where people were in control of how much they said and they didn't have to worry about other people's reactions to it so some people replied to the form with just a say some people had a very specific place it was very clear not to put any like personal details or anything and then people were in control they could write one sentence they could write a paragraph and then it was filled, made sure it was all OK, no sensitive details. And then it was put on a map, which uh, the website linked to. And it was interactive and people could click through and see where all these experiences were taking place. OK, so, I see. Because I'm because yeah. I'm in preparing for this, I looked at the website. So the idea is you click on a spot in the UK. Let's p- pick a place, say Edinburgh, for example. Yeah. And then you would find a victim or survivor's written account what they experienced yeah so the the actual initial website is now down because there's a charity in Dundee kind of looking to maybe take it on as part of their resources the original website's not up but the, the, the map is that was the kind of yeah. output of it when I got people's submissions I then manually put them on this map so people could really see so there is a real visual element with these red pins pinning where these things happened and I originally thought it'd just be a a local project maybe for the Tayside region but I ended up getting I think like between 130 or 150 submissions from about eight countries so that kind of cemented the idea that these experiences happen everywhere you know I think there in the news it's, there's an emphasis on it being you know in the middle of the night in dark alleyways and nightclubs but from the stories I was personally hearing to the stories that, that were being submitted 
that really does cover kind of everywhere, people at work, people at school, people at university. There was submissions, people talking about experiences with doctors, people experiencing things with people interviewing them for jobs and the discrimination, gender equality and inappropriate things people were being asked or and 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 worse as well like there there really was such a wide scope and kind of just shows how what an overwhelming issue this is that a lot of people don't even know because so many people were just walking around with these experiences in their head whereas I really did want to get it all on one page so people could kind of not deny it anymore it's kind of in their face. (laughs) So getting deeper into this I suppose what have you learned what what should we be learning from this artwork that you have created but enables victims and survivors to effectively contribute to? Yeah, so I think the kind of the main themes of the, the, the subsequent artwork from this website were asking people to reflect on power dynamics in society, like who lets this happen, why does this happen, awareness. That's why I was thinking bring it into a degree show in our exhibition space. It makes it you know, not taboo. People can talk about it and discuss the work and then reflect on the, the themes as well. And then also accountability. So the, the artworks that were made after the, all this kind of data was gathered, all the locations that were submitted, the ones I could get to myself, I went out and I took a picture of each one. I then kind of developed my own printing process and printed silk kind of a black and white, almost cyanotype looking print and then it was in this kind of walk-in installation so the idea was that it'd be a 3d database that you know this wasn't statistics on the computer or in a news article anymore this was a physical thing that people kind of had to confront you you took made a choice to walk in it and it was quite small only enough for one or two people to fit in and you you were, you were surrounded with these people's stories but it was also inviting because it was quite delicate materials and stuff and so i really think of that kind of the database art piece being the one about awareness kind of people go in and go okay like this is what's happening it's right in front of my face yes yeah, so, so so describing this is it's like walking into stop me if i if you disagree with me it's like walking into a room yes isn't it and you're presented or confronted maybe with these screens or these walls containing these black and white images of faces mm-hmm. that i'm sure many would recognise. Yes, they're everywhere. There's there's places that I walk past every day. Anyone from particularly Dundee, because there was so many in Dundee, because that's where the project started, you'd be able to recognise so many of them. But also some of the prints weren't recognisable because I wanted the prints to have an element of kind of being like memory. So each one was very unique and there was some parts of like the, the actual print itself were redacted. So some were mostly just silk than image. And that's kind of playing with how people look back on these incidents and kind of taught to doubt ourselves and kind of go oh maybe that didn't happen or maybe it's not like that or pushing it away pushing the memory out so I kind of wanted the prints to be a tangible evidence of that process as well they also because they were silk and hanging when people walked in they would like move and flow so it was the kind of idea that was like a breathing sculpture that kind of moved with people it wasn't just as something stuck on the wall or anything and like you were saying describing it as a room it was a room of these stories and these experiences, these real people without the people themselves having to be there and stay in front of people. It represented them. Again, correct me if I'm wrong, because I haven't seen this myself. Mm-hmm. Isn't there a video projection? Yeah. So there's three pieces altogether. So first, in my kind of head, there's like a journey. And first people go into the database and they're like, OK, these are all the stories. These are ha- happening. And it's kind of the overwhelmingness of all of them at once. 
and then they come out and then I also had like a dark room which had a projection from above projecting directly down onto a table and then around the table there was four seats and the projection above was projecting down hands one at a time to begin with and then all four at once and so where the seats were they lined up with the hands so people actually visiting the artwork could sit down on the Mm. seat and their bodies were lined up with the projected arms. Sorry, that's quite hard to describe. Um, <laughs> so if I'm sat, if I'm there and I'm watching this, yes. what happens? So you'd be if you were sitting at the table, which is a circular table, and your hands are by your side, and you look down at the tabletop, you would see another person's hands being projected down in front of you. So instead of a projection on a wall, it is downwards, and so yeah. the hands that are projected line up with your body, and so it's really like a visual experience of being in somebody else's shoes. That was kind of the whole backbone of the project was to elicit empathy from people and kind of... So what would I hear when I'm at this table? I recorded four women speak about their experiences. However, all the the dialogue is redacted. You don't actually hear it in the room with the emphasis being on their body language. And that's why you have to sit down so close and kind of be there and because you you have to really pay attention to their hands. And you can tell what, I, I think at least, you can tell at some points what people are saying without even hearing it. And you can see how the four women are reacting very differently to the situations they've been put in. Some people are very, very tight with their movements and other people are obviously very angry. There is some sound to it. It's not completely quiet. It was noises that I'd recorded on a busy street in my city on a Friday night. And it has like a lot of guys yelling and women walking with their keys clinking um, in their hands and stuff. So it is it's it's edited a bit. So it's not as obvious. But so there is some background noise. But the idea is that people would kind of come into this quiet room and sit down around this table possibly with people they don't know strangers that have come in to see this piece at the same time as them in the film after the women speak individually and so it's one set of hands at a time all four of them are once having a conversation and then the very end are all the women holding hands and reaching across to each other and so the idea was that if you were sat on one side of the table with this other person's projected hands in place of your own hands and then across the side of the table from you there's another person sitting there with their projected hands in place of their hands that if those two projected hands go across the table and reach for each other and hold hands that maybe that would force two strangers to look up and look at each other and acknowledge each other and kind of just remind us that we're all people we're all here we're all connected and you know we have to be nice and understanding well that's quite a surreal experience I think I'm sort of visualizing as you're explaining that thinking how I would react yeah. I was there and that was happening. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I was lucky to be there. Like I, I got to invigilate my own work. And so I saw people go in and I saw people come out <laughs> and yeah. their reactions. And sometimes it, people didn't read about the work going in. So some people maybe went in without knowing exactly what it was about or interpreted it, yeah. which is also good. Like that's part of the, the art as well is seeing what other people come up with and how they relate to it themselves. And what were your observations? What did you what what did you come away with when you witnessed these reactions? I think the big thing for that piece was because I had built its own little room in the corner, but it was quite tight, that people were going in, not sure what they were going to see. And when, as soon as they saw other people sitting down at the table, even if it was people they didn't know, they did sit down with them. And then because it fades out at the end and then is on a loop and because it is quite quiet, people did often start talking to each other, even though they didn't know each other, which the rest of the exhibition, you don't really have a chance to do that. So no. I, 
by, yes. by the table in the middle of the essentially art gallery really did change the dynamic of going in and seeing art. It was no longer just not just a passive viewer looking on to something. It, they did become active participants. You use the word or term dynamic. And of course, there's a third element, isn't there, to your work, which is dynamic all of its own if I may say so yeah yeah <laughs> and this is it's been described I don't know whether it's correct or not or whether it's fair or whether it's accurate as the third piece is a hand-built claw machine yeah <laughs> so take us through that because I found that absolutely fascinating so yeah this one at first seems maybe like the odd piece out but there is a reason for it yeah the last piece is a hand-built claw machine which actually was the, the part of the, the, the idea that came first, very strangely. Earlier when I was mentioning about power dynamics and saying that some of these people's stories, you know, they're people, the people that, that unfortunately put them in these situations are people that have authority. You know, I was saying that about doctors and employers, staff members at work, uh, all sorts of people that have power and also just the inequality in general, due to the patriarchy and the historical context of different places. And so in my mind, I was seeing this as there was this other higher power that had the potential to pick up people and kind of dictate their life and that those people don't really have control. And in my head, I was seeing that kind of like a puppet. Through some sketches I started doing, suddenly it was no longer a puppet. It was a hand and then it was a claw. And I was thinking about you know, when you're a child and you go to the fun fair and you use these claw machines and you never really win them. <laughs> no, exactly. Because what I've seen of it, it just reminded me of the fairground machine where you put in your pennies and you operate the claw to try and win a prize, a bar yeah. of chocolate or whatever it is. But it never, ever happens. It always seems as though there's some herd power controlling yeah. Like, and what's actually happening and you actually don't have any power at all over the you know the control lever that's in your hands where you're trying to control the the magic claw that's going to pick up the bar of chocolate and deposit it in your um hands so to speak yeah exactly it's it's rigged you don't have a you don't have a say in it so i was thinking about that and then i was also thinking about how the systems of how our society work like they start when whether you realize it or not you're when you're a child and you're naive to it and so I thought these things go really well hand in hand. And I like from what I was saying earlier with the research, I like subverting meaning and stuff. And I like the fact that work can be interactive. And so I learned to code for this project, which I never thought I'd ever do. <laughs> and through the woodwork shop at the university, we built this claw machine. I put masks in it to represent these women that didn't have a say in these situations, that these things happened, someone else was in control. And so in my degree show, People would go to the database, the, the walk-in installation. They'd then go into the, the film and be in other people's shoes. And then they'll get the other side of it, hopefully, and come out and use this claw machine. And we were talking about the dynamics of watching people with the work. And the last bit was always the bit that they were having so much fun because they were the ones in control. They were the one getting to win the prize. They were enjoying it. They were loving it. And so it was kind of asking people to leave with the idea of, well, we all enjoy the sense of power and winning but we also like to be empathetic and where's the balance and where and how do we sort this and how do we fix this? I once he heard a quote that was, you should never leave an art gallery with less questions than you entered it. Like people think you go to art and you get answers, but you actually, you should leave with more questions in my mind as well. <laughs> oh, excellent. No, it's um, 
very um, thought-provoking. And um, if people want to see your work, where do they need to go to? So that specific work is still up. The, the degree shows for Duncan and Georgetown College of Art and Design, part of University of Dundee, is still on their website. So you can see my degree show there. I also have my own website, which is just my name, danaleslie.co.uk. And then sometimes I also have some pop-up stuff at places in Dundee. So, for instance, I think some of my silk pieces from that database is going to be part of the 16 Days of Activism campaign this year, 2022, next month at the V&A, hopefully. <laughs> wow. Yeah, excellent. Well, thank you, Dana. Absolutely fascinating. Very thought provoking. And what it comes, if I may say so, what comes across from listening to you is the thought and the research and the care that you have obviously put into all of this. It's absolutely awe-inspiring. So um, if I may say so, thank you very much and congratulations again. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for having me for the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thanks a lot. So thank you, everyone, for tuning into this podcast. As always, if you've got questions or ideas or comments, please do not hesitate to get in touch. Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to speak to us about something you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk.